I'm Michael Kist of Bleeding Green Nation, and I invite you, gentle listener, to join us for the best analysis of the Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles in the business. BGN Radio provides you with the most informative preview shows, and the Kist and Solak show dives deep into all the schemes and X and O details you could ever want. Plus discussions with the industry's brightest minds, including former NFL players, and press conferences from the Eagles coaching staff to keep you up to date and informed every step of the way. Subscribe to Bleeding Green Nation today. Fly, Eagles, fly. everybody how you doing well that's good welcome to broad street hockey radio that's right bsh radio my name is bill Matz. i am your director of fun and games for the evening <sighs> interesting show interesting show coming up i am going to choose uh one way of looking at this team everyone else is probably going to disagree with me because that's the dynamic of this show <laughs> let's get it started let me introduce you to the panel for the evening first and foremost my broadcast partner in crime stephalicious d steph driver how are you tonight steph it's Travi time! Between last week and this week, our favorite unwanted boy was called up on an emergency, um, emergency whatever, emergency call up, and it's Travi time! From TheAthletic.com, Charlie O'Connor. So the, the less exciting uh, re-addition to the lineup is someone I'm legitimately happy for, and that's uh, that's Matt Reed. Uh, he's come he's come in. I think he's played three games now, and he seems to have sort of carved himself out a spot in the in the lineup on the fourth line. Uh, I know he's got his haters, and it makes sense. You know, his contract is too big. He stopped scoring a couple years ago, um, but I've always liked him. You know, when he was when he was legitimately useful as a twenty goal scorer, I was always a fan, and I I liked the fact that even as his scoring touch dried up as he got older, he kind of uh, pivoted his game to be more of a defensively oriented. player play driving type uh, type winger rather than the uh, the 20 goal scorer who basically benefited from a 15% shooting percentage. I always respected that. We know the Flyers aren't going to keep him when his contract expires. That that's that's obvious. It expires at the end of the year. They they send him down to the AHL this year. He's he's done after the season. But what he's getting now is he's getting a chance to audition for other teams as a chief fourth liner. And I still think he provides value there. And my worry when he got sent down was less that, you know, the Flyers are going to be devastated because Matt Reed wasn't on the team, even though I do think he should have been on the team over Dale Weiss, specifically Yuri Laterra as well. It was more that he spent a, he spends a whole year down in the AHL. There's a good chance his NHL career ends when his contract expires. No one's going to want to sign a guy who was part in the AHL for a season before his contract was about to expire. Now he's getting a chance to audition for other teams. He's done it. He's done in Philadelphia, but maybe, maybe this last month and a half will give him the chance to impress someone that'll sign him to you know an eight hundred, nine hundred thousand dollar contract for one year, and he can carve himself out a new role as a fourth liner for the next couple of years. That's what I'm rooting for, and I'm glad he's getting that chance. I am too. Yeah. I I always liked Matt Reed. Uh, it was really frustrating when the scoring dried up. But um, I, I'm happy to see him up here, and like I've been shouting all year, he's got to be get he's got to be better than the wingers they've been putting out on the fourth line. Uh huh. And he's looked good. 
too. Like he he's looked good, and it, it's nice to see the organization finally come to terms with, hey, Matt Reed is an NHL forward. That's cool. I also, I, I think they wanted to bury him a little bit to bank his cap space and everything. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy he's up here. And I kind of liked him down there in a mentorship role. I thought, like, while there are young kids up here who could certainly benefit from, uh, from that veteran leadership that we love so hmm. much. Uh, the fact that he's an NHL guy who's been through, you know, been developed by this system, you know, went through college, was undrafted, carved himself out a role in the NHL, got a second NHL contract. I just kind of feel like uh, it's a it's good to have that kind of guy in the organization. Although I do think he could have been more productive here than you know my best friend Dale Weiss. You do love Dale, don't you? I really, really. It's so hard for me. To, like even when he does something good, I'm like, nah, didn't happen. <laughs> does and, he do I mean, anything good? I, it's been He's months. He's really good at sitting. So. Last but certainly not least, the bespectacled, spectacular Kelly Hinkle. Well, that was a lot of words. Um, so I came to a very important decision today that I would like to share with all of you, and that is that I have come to an end of my relationship with Radico Gudis. I'm I'm over him because. There was a a while there when I was willing to give him a little bit of leeway where it came to to being crappy at his job because he was spooked by all of the calls that were being made against him. But um, I feel like that leeway is gone and now he's just playing poorly and it's annoying me. And so I'm done with him and I would like him to go away from me. While I certainly, um, uh, you know what, you're kind of right. Of course I am. I, I, I've, been... I've been on the get-off-my-team Radko Gudis train for the past few months, and I've been keeping it to myself because smarter people than I tell me that he's a good hockey player, but I, I think that I'm done keeping it to myself because shit's bad. Well, shockingly I... enough, once again, Steph Driver is right in her analysis. I can't believe the two women agree with each other because they're actually just one person. Mm. Um, <laughs> Not only are we just one person, but we also are know-nothings with no personality and no entertainment factor. Did, uh, I, did I hit all the topics? We, As everyone knows, We I live a- to rile people up on Twitter.com. That's all <laughs> that we're good for. As everyone knows, I'm a Radko Gudis supporter, but... Um, <laughs> He hasn't been good since his last suspension. I thought he'd kind of been showing some some positive signs in the last week or so, but still, like he's he's just not as good as he was the previous two years. It's just plainly obvious. I guess I'm the only Radko Gudis defender. I, I honestly, I mean, I think he's he's definitely been hurt dramatically by the severe regression from semi-useful to why is he still playing from Brandon Manning, who he's been kind of state, you know, attached to the hip to for the vast majority of this year. Like Manning always was, wasn't always this bad. He's been very bad over the last couple months. And I think Gudis's game has suffered, but honestly, like I don't watch Gudis and think he's playing that poorly. I I, I'm clearly in the the minority here, but I, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't see him making a ton of mistakes. I see him bailing out Manning a lot when he makes mistakes. I'm just not, I'm not seeing it, but clearly you guys are. So I don't know. We're gonna get in. We're gonna get into the defensive depth at some point, and I'll, we'll have all further points to make about this uh, when we do that. Uh, I want to. What I want to start off with is um, I recognize that the penalty kill 
and the depth are probably right now the team's two biggest issues, and they are going to remain issues for the rest of the season. There's no way you're going to you know, fix your depth, fix your penalty kill with, what, what 12 games left, I think? It's, these are, this is the team as it is. But I'm remaining positive. Uh, despite the frustration of blowing a late game, and if you saw or listened to last night's postgame, you know I'm just as frustrated as you. Um, but I think uh, there are more good that there was more good than bad to come out of last night's game, regardless of the result. Uh, in the last two games, both against top teams in the West, Philly outshot Winnipeg and Vegas a combined 75 to 57. They skated with both teams, and I think they're coming out of the scoring slump. Uh, they're creating chances. I think pucks are going to start going in again. They're right on the door. Because as bad as the PK and failed clears and all that stuff was against Vegas last night, if they capitalize on a few a few more of the prime opportunities that no one can argue they created, they did. If they capitalize on a few more of those, I am none of it matters because they win the game 5-2. to two. Uh, They've got Columbus, Carolina, Washington, Detroit, and the Rangers in the next week. All winnable time. games. I think they're about to start another winning streak before they run into the Penguins on Sunday the 25th. You see them beating Washington? What's that, Steph? Yeah, I think so. You see them beating Washington? Yeah, why not? Hmm. You know, because they're not that good. Is that game at, is that game at home or is that a road game? They just beat Winnipeg. Well, you're going to tell me they can't beat Washington, but they just beat Winnipeg? Yeah. They're capable of beating everybody in this whole league. Everybody, Everybody's I'm... capable of beating everyone in this whole league. Exactly! I mean, they, they haven't beat the Penguins once this season, so are they? Yeah, I mean, they could easily beat him. The one game they lost in what? No, I mean, no. Evidence says no, they cannot. Well, they haven't. That doesn't mean they can't. If they they face the Penguins in a seven-game series, I think they lose, but I don't think they get swept. They've been swept this season, 0-3. Then they got another game left. They might beat them in that last game. In one of those games, they lost in overtime after hitting, like, six posts. Like, everything is context. It's not just, oh, they lost, so they can't win. That means a team that starts the season 0-1 is mathematically, oh, yep, they're going to go 0-82. That's just the way it is. No, that's not at all what I'm saying. They haven't shown they could win a game, which means they're not going to win any games. That's exactly the idea. No, that's not what I'm saying, but go ahead. You go ahead and play that game that you're going to play. Kelly, I'm ready to hear your opinion. Oh, I was just going to say that... um... The, the issue that I have with Bill's positivity rant that he just went on, um, especially when it comes to last night's game, is, you know, you are right that if they capitalized on a few of the chances, the, the very good chances that they created last night, it's a totally different game. But they didn't capitalize on the chances. And from what I remember in the game, it was a lot of them going back to that annoying thing where they're doing too much passing and trying to make a pretty play and not just getting a puck on net. And I'm wondering why we've gone back to that. And if it's going to be a thing that they go back to over and over again, we're going to see problems even against bad teams because they're, they're not finishing. Like, why aren't they finishing? It's a problem. I'm, I'm not terribly concerned about the finishing. I think it's, I think for me, it's just that like, you know, we, we, we had a season of them shooting every time they touched the puck. Generally speaking, it was by defensemen. And we said, don't do that anymore. It's stupid. You need to create quality chances. And now this year, they're trying to create more quality chances, and we scream for them to shoot more. Like, I, I so... Charles, I, don't call me a shoot person. <laughs> so, well, I, I'm just saying, like... I am like, not I, I, I don't... 
yeah, they could shoot more, and yeah, they could finish better, but I don't really have a problem with them trying to create higher quality chances. I just don't think they're going in at the moment, and I think at some point okay. they will. Like Whether that's going to happen now, whether that's going to happen at the beginning of April when they're four points out of a playoff spot, I don't know. Like Hockey's mm-hmm. weird. You don't know when, this stuff, when the bounces are going to start going your way, but I, I don't really have a problem with the Flyers' current offensive process i would say you know i have a problem with some of the players but i don't really have a problem with what they're trying to do if they were if they spent last game just blasting away from the point i have a much bigger issue yeah i mean i guess that's if, and fair. if they had done that it would have just been uh nothing but elevating mark andre Fleury's save percentage that's just what <laughs> it would have been there's a, there was yeah. one specific play last night where uh it was the Giroux connect me two on one um, yes. Giroux needs to yeah, shoot that, that puck, and he passed to Konechny, and then Konechny needs to shoot it, and he passed it. Uh, yes. Especially given Giroux's history against Flurry and the way he's been shooting lately, uh, he scores if he pulls into the slot and takes a wrist shot there. Uh, he passes it, and then Konechny has, has an opportunity to shoot. He passes. I think that really stuck out for me. But this is uh-huh. a team of playmakers. Um they create their scoring opportunities by moving goalies side to side. That's what they do. They get the goalie moving, and then they capitalize on plays like uh, the backdoor play to Simmons and things like that. They're really just not going to score just by getting pucks on net because there's not that many guys on the team that shoot all that well. Well, I mean, fair, but... I mean, that play that you just described is the one that was in my head when I was talking about last night's problem with finishing like okay yes it's good to try to create a high danger shot but you have to you have to shoot the puck oh. like what are you doing you have to shoot the puck and I I don't know it just it worries me that if they're because I think we talked a lot about during the 10 game streak about them being like two in their own heads when it came to trying to score goals and I don't want to see them get caught up in their own heads again trying to score goals. And there are a lot of guys right now who I think are in their own heads and pressing. Uh, Sean Couturier just stuck on 29. Yeah. Uh, you know, Oscar Lindblom just needs that one. Shane Gossespierre haven't hasn't scored in forever. Like, Philpola hasn't scored in forever. Lawton hasn't scored in forever. Raffle hasn't scored in forever. Like, it's just going to take a, one good week. And I think it's as possible that that good week is this week as any week. Hope so. I hope you're right, William. It's what they've done all year. (laughs) I I mean, I I think one point I'd like to make about this team, and this is why, like, am I on board with your positivity? Like, to a degree. I I think they're going to make the playoffs still. I don't think they're going to completely fall apart. But, you know, I I hate to go back to this well because I seem to talk about it a lot. But, like, let's take a look at the Flyers' position in the standings and their, their overall stats. So they've played 70 games, okay? They've won 35. They've lost 35. They have an exactly even goal differential. This is the definition of a mediocre average team that is like somewhere between 14th and 18th in the in the in the league. Like that's what they are. And you know, is that is that yeah. going to be enough to get them in the playoffs? I, I hope so. I, I think they've banked enough points where it is, and there's good things going on, and they could possibly be better. You know, we can certainly argue that if the lineup was optimized a little better, they could be better. Um, I I wouldn't disagree with that. 
but basically this is kind of just what they are and you know they've just found a way to get to this point by having a bunch of streaks whether it's a really long winning streak or a really long losing streak and that serves to have everyone kind of rightfully lose their mind because this team team does an amazing job at getting everyone to lose their mind I think it's great. It's great for this you show. You would think honestly. it's great. <laughs> like, uh, come on. We host a podcast about this team every week. They're on a losing streak or a winning streak. It's something new every time. <laughs> it's They go a whole month. They go the whole mo- month of November without winning. And then they go the whole month of February without losing. I get to say February this many times. It's just good content. <laughs> so I want to start out uh, our first written down topic of the night. We spent a little time on my thing. But um, the travesty, trademark, is over. Yeah. For, for I kind of wish that I could fire you. For I, I liked it. I thought it was pretty clever. You would. <laughs> I mean, it was it's bad, so but it was clever. <laughs> it's so good. It was a travesty that he wasn't here, and now it's over. Sanheim is back up as an emergency recall. Unfortunately, it's not because, uh, you know, Brandon Manning, the emergency was, oh, my God, we realized he's not good. It's yeah, that we Robert wasn't a come-to-Jesus moment. <laughs> yeah. It's that Robert Haig is out for, I think they said, two weeks, and Johnny Oduya is out with old. So, uh, Sanheim is here. <laughs> well, like, did we ever find out what the fuck happened to Robert Haig? Uh, this came out of nowhere. Yeah, just lower body. I I haven't been able to uh, to dig up any specifics, but he'll probably be on the ice soon. So you know, because if it's two weeks, you would assume he might start skating like as soon as the end of this week. I think I heard it was a blocked shot off the ankle, but that could be literally like that's every defenseman on every shift. I mean, maybe it's just a bone yeah. bruise because you would think if, yeah. if if it was a broken bone, he wouldn't be back in two weeks. Maybe it's just a really bad bone bruise. Yeah, unless he needs, like, inches shaved off his ankle like Eric Carlson, but he's just going to play through it. Yeah, that seems bad. Let's not yeah. let's not hope that for him. Uh, yeah. While we all think it was ridiculous that Sanheim was sent down, and regardless of the narrative, it was. Uh, your best players should play regardless of what kind of, you know, slump they're in. Uh, he, he uh, To his credit, he went down there willing to learn. And he, this is a quote from Isaac's piece a couple days ago. Uh, I just went down motivated. I wasn't happy with how my play had been up here the last few games that I was in. To get back up here, I wanted to prove that I belonged here. Playing in all situations allowed me to develop allowed me to develop all aspects of my game. I played so much defensively against top lines down there uh, that could easily be third or fourth lines in the NHL, so I was getting to play against some top guys and try to shut them down defensively, and he's talking about developing his defensive game, and he was also basically a point-of-game player as a defenseman in the AHL. So he worked on his all-around game down there. He gets rewarded with a call-up. I think that's... A lot to his credit, and when I see uh, what Scott Gordon get his contract extended, uh, I know we don't want to ever, you know, credit anybody for developing the players, but someone's doing this, and I think he's been doing a pretty good job down there in the AHL. Yeah, I'm, I'll make a couple points here. Well, I'll make one point, and then I'll make one joke. So the point is, <laughs> <laughs> the point is that. Uh, I, I don't disagree with Sanheim that, like, his play had went downhill at the end. But let's take a step back and remember what the end of his time in, Phil- in Philadelphia was like. So he played in that one game, I believe it was against Florida, in late December, where literally the whole team sucked. Okay, so, like, I'm, I, I don't specifically remember him being bad. He was probably bad in that game. Everyone on the team was bad in that game. They played like garbage. Then he gets scratched. Then they play Tampa. They play very well against Tampa. Then he's scratched forever. 
He comes in against the Devils, makes one mistake, and then is benched for the rest of the game. So, like, yes, the last few games he was in, he was probably not that good. But his usage was not conducive to helping him get out of that slump. Oh, yeah, no. Because he didn't play, and his last game, his last full game was a game where everyone on the team was bad. That was my point. Breaking. Exactly. Breaking. Player being used inconsistently is playing inconsistently. Exactly. What? Now, my joke is that he talks about how he was playing defensively against top lines that could easily be third or fourth lines in the NHL. I, w- I really want to believe that when he was facing off against top AHL lines, he had in the back of his head, man, this line is, like, way better than Weasla Terra Filpola. Like, so much better. <laughs> Probably. This leads me to uh, this leads me to the question that everyone's wondering because we're always looking ahead. Um, when Haig gets back, this is an emergency mm-hmm. recall. What happens to Travis Sanheim? Is there some kind of rule like since this is an emergency call up on behalf of Robert Haig? Does that mean that when Robert Haig comes back, Travis Sanheim has to go back? Or? He, d- he doesn't have to go back, but they would once. Once there's not two defensemen injured, they have to make a decision on whether they're going to send him back or they're going to actually make a full recall, and that would take away one of the three they have left. So they could keep him, but that would that mm-hmm. would require them to use up one of their remaining like true recalls. Kelly, when we yep. do the flyby on the day they decide to keep Travis Sanheim, can we call mm-hmm. it total recall? Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Hold on, I'm making a mental note of that. Steph so I don't has never forget. seen it. I'm guessing. Yes. Nope. Okay. <laughs> uh, do we expect Sandheim to stay? And how do you think he's been since he got back? I will light places, offices, buildings on fire if he does not. Um, I, I will. Tanya Harding, one of the other defensemen, just to keep him up here on the emergency recall, if that's what it takes. Um, I think he's done really, really well. And I think that he is also helping prop up Andrew McDonald, as is rookie hazing. Andrew McDonald Mm -hmm. has had a solid last few games, and this should not be a surprise because he's paired with an, a strong puck-moving defenseman. And that's something we've been talking about in terms of how they don't have a second and third pair, and so it's leading to, like, the overusage of, like, they have, you know, three basically third-pair defensemen, and they're just all being overused. Uh, and we said there's an easy fix to this, you know? Bring up Sanheim, and suddenly you'll have three guys who can play. Uh, that's what's happened, and how heartbreaking was that penalty he took uh, I, knew, that, I knew they were going to score. I knew it. Oh, yeah. The minute no, he took is, it, it's like, they're scored. Because, they because this is well the year just, Sanheim is well, It might as well have just been po- a goal on the board. They shouldn't have even given him the power play. <laughs> like, yeah. just concede the goal, and we're going to use the extra time on the clock. But to his credit, because you know I love giving Dave Haxtell credit, <laughs> Sanheim, Sanheim got three more shifts, including on a line... That saw him paired with Ivan Provorov and the forwards being Nolan Patrick, Travis Konechny, and Oscar Lindblom. So I hold on, I've got a note. Kids. I've got a note about that line. Okay. People are calling them the All Twenty One line. Okay, yes, Travis Konechny and Oscar Lindblom, um, Ivan Provorov, and Travis Sandheim are all twenty one years old. Nolan Patrick is still fucking nineteen. This is, is still his draft year. I thought like, he was shut 20, the fuck no? up. 
He turns 20 no, in I September. He's well, he's 19. He's 19 now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he's, he's 19. He, yeah, he turns 20 in September. That's right. Okay. His birthday's in September, I think. Yeah, I think he's. Like, it's like th- right he was before the, guy, the draft cutoff. He missed it by like he missed the draft cutoff by like four days. Yeah, right? it was just really close. Yeah. I mean, so to, to to me, it's just that like I, the all 21 line, I guess, is kind of fun but why not you know whenever we have the opportunity to have sandheim and Proveroff on the ice at the same time it's the nice pairing like that's what it is yeah nice so like i normally would just assume that sandheim would go back down because um yeah but i am made to feel hopeful by the fact that oscar Lindblom is still here and I think the fact that he was able to stay after Simmons came back gives me a little bit of hope that maybe they're recognizing that these guys can play in the NHL and they're going to let them stay. So I'm hopeful that he'll be staying. But Charlie, was it in your observations uh, where you said, like, of course, you know, they scored on that power play. It's like the exact metaphor for his season. Yeah. It is. And that's exactly like one mistake. It's he does just he just plays well all, and it's not like he's he makes a couple of outstanding plays like a, a long pass or just a good read, and it's the little things that he doesn't do that are just nice. Uh, doesn't screw up a breakout and stuff like that, and it's just he's playing a nice solid game. You're happy. You're like okay, cool, and then it's just a a, a careless high stick, and they lose the fucking game. Like, yeah, and, and it's, like, it's, and like, let's not like, let's not try to sugarcoat it. Like, it was a bad penalty. Like, I'm not trying to act like it wasn't. You know, it was. Oh, that was a BS penalty. No, it was a penalty. It was just, it was a dumb play. You want to. You yeah. obviously want your players to avoid taking high sticks and close games in the third period. Not ideal. What what annoys me about it though is like, not only is it a classic example of whenever Sanhai makes a mistake, it always ends in the worst possible way. Like, 20 seconds before he took that penalty, Flurry robbed him of a goal. And, like, if there's not a better metaphor for his season, it's that little period. You know, he goes from potentially being the hero, but a goalie who's playing out of his mind on a certain night robs him, and then 25 seconds later, he takes a penalty and is kind of the goat. It, 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 was, it was very much, yeah, that's exactly, yeah. Okay. Um, I, I, I do, do want to make my point, though, about I, like, whether I think he's going to stay or not. I want yeah. him to stay. I I'm gonna be pessimistic. I think they're gonna send him down. And oh, Charles! No. The reason is is because I think with Lindblom, number one, he's the type of player that coaches are going to like because he's one of those like little things guys. I think he's good too, but he's also a little things guy. Plus, it really didn't take a hockey genius to watch him play and realize like, okay, well, he's more effective <laughs> than Dale Weiss. So if my choice is, <laughs> like, mean, pushing someone down, keeping Limblom in the lineup and getting Dale Weiss out, like, that made sense. Dave Haxall still, for some reason, seems to really like Brandon Manning. And I think Sanheim has to not just be good according to our estimation, but good according to his estimation, which involves him not making the little mistakes that apparently pissed Haxall off back in January. And I don't know if, I don't know if Sanheim's capable of doing it because I don't know if Sanheim, I don't know if at this point there's anything aside from scoring a bunch of goals, Shane Gossespierre rookie year style that is going to convince Dave Haxall that Travis Sanheim needs to stay in this lineup. Like, I just don't know what he's going to be able to do. Maybe I I hope I hope I'm wrong. That makes me want to die. I hope I'm wrong. I really do, but I'm just pessimistic about the Sanheim situation. 
Um, God, that's so infuriating. It really is infuriating because it, it, it really has been a bad luck season for him. Like Charlie said, that penalty is just, you have to have control of your stick, and in clutch situations, you need more awareness than that. But I don't think one mistake should be held against you know, the other 13 and a half minutes he was on the ice, including the 20 seconds before it when he could have easily just won them the game. Um, this next thing... And that also doesn't account for the fact that, you know, the glue guys are never held responsible for their glaring mistakes ever. Of course, of course. All right, uh, this next thing is going to get us into Kelly's topic about splitting Giroux and Couturier, but since it's kind of in the same vein, now that, you know, it's the four of us, say we're the coach... Are you thinking, okay, Sandheim's? yeah, that would be fun. Now that Sandheim's here, we have three guys that we think are effective. Um, are you more inclined now to split up Ghost and Provorov and try to give yourself two good pairs? No. Yeah, I, I would say no. I, I'm with yeah. Steph. The only reason to split them up is because the other two pairings are an absolute dumpster fire. If you've got now another one guy that you can depend on on each of the other two pairings they shouldn't they shouldn't be as bad that's not saying that they won't be but they shouldn't be as bad i agree i i i feel like i mean especially if you're you do the optimal thing and you slide haig in for manning when haig is healthy I mean, then, uh, yes. well, well, then, then, then you have options. I mean, you could theoretically keep McDonald with Sanheim. The problem is that then and they're gives, doing fine. Yeah, they're doing fine. The problem with that is that then leaves you with a goodis Haig pairing where no one is really good at moving the puck. But you could always just put Sanheim back hits, with Gudis. the hits, Charlie, the hits. Well, they, would, they would make a lot of hits. You're right. Um, but you could always just put Sanheim back with Gudis and then use them as a second pair or, or use Haig McDonald as a second pair again. Like, I, I, think they're, I think that's a passable third pairing. I think that's fine. I'd rather them used as a third pair. But, like, I mean, at least then you have or, two third pairs that are good. Or, or you do a Haig Sanheim and an Amac Gudis. That would be interesting. I, I, they they, that is they interesting. tried that earlier in the year, and I think it was a disaster. I think, like, they were on the ice for, like, two straight goals against. But, I mean, Haig's <laughs> four right. months older now and four months more experienced, so maybe it wouldn't be that bad now. I don't know. I want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> to me, the optimal thing to do is Provorov-Sanheim, even though I know they're not going to give Sanheim uh, first pair of minutes. This is just Bill. This is Bill head coach. And then go ghost with um, it would be McDonald, but I wouldn't. I would try Gudis first, but I'm not fully inclined to give Gudis second pair minutes. They're they're at, not they're yeah. they're not going to put Ghost with Gudis. I, from I know. what from no, I mean not not just from a performance standpoint. From what I gather, Ghost did not like playing with Gudis. Oh, didn't he? No. <laughs> Ooh, is there anything juicy? No, I, I honestly like, and this is this is not like from any information. This is just my guess. I can't imagine Ghost likes playing with a partner that shoots the puck all the time because Ghost likes to shoot too. That, oh, that's ju- that's just fair my point. guess. And then, yeah, okay, so... Yeah, so we'd have Ghost McDonald, and then that would still be a fun Gudis Haig third pair. Oh, my God. No, thank you. Oh, my God, the hits. <laughs> the board rattling hits. <laughs> and all of the goals Whatever. against... So, wait, I have an important question. I need to clarify something. If the four of us are the head coach, are we on each other's shoulders in a trench coat <laughs> Ooh. Oh. to make one head coach? 
we'll be the tallest fucking head coach. No doubt. I know. No doubt. And I don't know. I don't know how we pull it off. And then we jump Tortorella. <laughs> <laughs> but like, when we jump Tortorella, are you just kind of flinging bodies over to the other side? Yes. Over to the other side. <laughs> Like, like it were weapons. Charlie and Kelly. Yes. Charlie and Kelly use their gym muscles to throw <laughs> you and I like projectiles. Yes. Oh, All right. So the splitting <laughs> up, the splitting up of Ghost Provorov. Um, that topic leads me to Kelly's topic, which she saw come up from uh, a great source, some rando on Twitter, and it's the um, <laughs> it's the debate of splitting up Giroux and Couturier because as we're seeing. The depth on this team is an issue, and while the move to wing and the pairing with Couturier have helped both Giroux and Couturier so much, um, would it be more beneficial to move Giroux back to center and have three good centers? I'm going to run with this one first again. No. <laughs> oh! I wouldn't How do strange. it. because Because the seasons that the two of them are having both individually, Couturier and Claude Giroux would not be having the same type of season without the other one. The success mm-hmm. that this team is having wouldn't be possible if the two of them weren't complementing and playing off each other so well. So by moving them and, and splitting them apart, now you're fucking the other the other two three lines. Like, yes, yes, the depth on this team is not good, and yes, we need more centers that are not Valtteri Filpola, but I don't believe that this is the answer. I think that this would this would lead to a stalemate in production across the entire team. Yeah. I don't like it either. And part of the reason that I don't is that I feel that there is another solution. Mm. In that, okay, so I'm fine with Lawton at 3C, I think. Um, I don't think it's ideal, but I think it's okay. And I I find it hard to believe that like, Mike Vecchioni can't handle being fourth-line center on this team. I think that's fair. I I, I like And Lawton I would rather do that than split up that top line. Yeah. I mean, I there are probably even some wingers that I would move to center over Philpola at this point. I, don't, I, I can't. Who, who would I put at center? Like, I mean, Raffle. Yeah, Raffle I, you know, to play center, yeah. I, yeah. I I don't love it, but if it's just fourth line minutes, Jay Weezy can play th- center. <laughs> he's he's in the press spot, <laughs> and plus he's been when he they've tried him at center, he's been it's been not so good. Um, yeah, it's not really an ideal position. I'm yeah, just saying. Who, who else neither can, is Philpola. Yeah, I don't know if there's anybody. No, like else. I, I think Raffle Raffle would do better than Philpola. I agree. At four C, I, I don't I don't love it, but it would be better. Yeah, that's that's fair. I I, I wouldn't hate that. I, Going back to the Lawton idea, you know, basically with him, because they they did try him at 3C. They tried him at 3C in, like, mid to late February, and then I think Hack gave up on that decision when they started running to higher-end teams because he felt like he needed, I guess, a veteran to match up against uh, the Jordan Stalls and Sidney Crosby's of the world, so he used Phil Bull We need someone worked. slower. Yeah, that That's worked out amazing. <laughs> um, but, but to kind of go through the stats with Lawton, and, and this, is, this may maybe explain what's going on here. 
So Lawton, by his underlying numbers from a play-driving standpoint, he's been good this year, and he's done this with not-so-amazing line mates for the most part. Uh, plus 2.75 Corsi relative to his teammates, plus 1.14 expected goals relative to his teammates. So when he's on the ice, the Flyers drive play better than when he says on the bench. That's good news. Unfortunately, his PDO, which is on-ice shooting percentage plus on-ice save percentage, is in the toilet. Uh, is 95.57, and the goalies have only stopped about 90% of the shots when he's been on the ice. I wonder if that's why Hack isn't using him at third-line center, that if this may be a Sandheim situation again, where Lawton's been on the ice for too many goals against, and Hackstall has and his coaching staff have determined that because of that, that Lawton cannot be relied upon in tougher situations. And Philpola, I guess because he has the magical veteran presence, is the better option at 3C as a result of that. Now, if you buy the play driving results are a better way to judge a player, Lawton should absolutely be a 3C. If you think goal-based results matter more than the advanced stat community does, then there might be something to this. So that, you know, we've seen this happen with Sanheim. Sanheim had bad goal-based luck and got sent down as a result. Or... The, the alternate theory is Sanheim was blowing too many coverages and making too many big, big mistakes, and that's why he was sent down. Like, I think this is almost like a Sanheim situation light here. It seems to me, just like from a pure just talent standpoint, okay, we're going to use the Couturier line against one of the opposition's top two lines because that's what you do. It's your top line. They're going to be out there against one of the other top two lines. We're going to use the second line, the Nolan Patrick line. We're going to try to get them matched up on third lines, third, fourth lines, so they can really take advantage of just their overall skill. Um, and we're going to use that third line as our shutdown line on the other one of the opponent's top two lines. Wouldn't Lawton, who they sent down to, like, you know, to have, like, to be brainwashed into this bottom six checking center role uh, and just be re, like, be reinvented as this new guy, wouldn't he, with Raffle and Simmons, be, like, the definition of this third checking line that you're looking for? Like, they can skate, they have a little bit of offensive upside, and they're all defensively responsible. Like, I just don't understand how you can watch Lawton and watch Philpola and go, yeah, Philpola. I don't, like, this was the whole point of wasting a year of Lawton's, like, NHL service time and sending him down to the, sending him down to the AHL. This was the whole point, to be able to use him in this role. And then when there is this magical depth, however it gets here, he'll be an amazing fourth center. But right now, since we need him, he's the best, he, like, that fourth line right now is getting eight minutes. I don't care who's on it. Like, that's, if you're going to use your third line in this role, it has to be Lawton. Yeah, yeah I, I completely agree with you. Yeah. Absolutely. And this doesn't happen often. It's <laughs> a fair point. So you know it's got to make sense, and we're, we would be a better coach than Dave Haxtell. A collective four of us would be mm-hmm. a better coach than Dave Haxtell. Stacked on top of each other. <laughs> so I do want I, I, I do want to run through, though. I'm wearing a suit. Yeah. Um, I do want to run through Philpola's numbers since February. because Oh, I bet they're really good. Man, they are bad. Um, he's scoring a little bit. Like he's still like chipping in with some some assists here and there. But at five on five, like the team is getting killed when he plays. And and I remember saying in like late November, I remember saying you know one of one of the 
biggest pleasant surprises of the season for the Flyers has been Valtteri Filippo has been pretty good. You know, I, I wasn't a huge fan of, of him when the Flyers acquired him. I didn't. I thought his play at the end of last season was overrated. But I thought in the beginning of this year, first two months of the year, that he was fine. He was he was a good third line center, and that's really what the Flyers needed. The problem was that Nolan Patrick took three months to become a second line center. If you could take Nolan Patrick now, and you could take the Filippo from October and November, the Flyers wouldn't have a big problem. The problem is is that Filippo has fallen off an utter cliff over the past four months. So so here's uh. here's some numbers here. So. Talking about Corsi, like an average Corsi is like 50% because that means that when a guy's on the ice, the Flyers get the same amount of shot attempts as the other team. It's break-even territorial play. Good players are usually like the 55% range. Bad players are usually like the 45% range. Valtteri Filppula has been in the 40% range since February 1st. 40.4 is his Corsi, which is, like, beyond awful. It's like, why are you still in the NHL awful? It's really bad. And this isn't even a case where he's getting outshot, but, like, the goals are still going in his favor. Since February 1, the Flyers at 5-on-5 have been outscored 11-6 to with Valtteri Filippo on the ice. So they're getting killed territorially, and they're getting killed by goals. So... I just, I don't understand, like, you must really not trust Lawton if you're willing to throw that guy with those results, both shot and goal-based, out as your third-line center every night. Like, you really must not trust Scott Lawton, because there's nothing positive about what Philpola has done since the start of February. There's just nothing. My only... It's almost... Go ahead, Steph. It's almost like Haxtell is resentful that he didn't get the chance to scratch Scott Lawton last year, but really... (laughs) Scott Lawton got the ultimate, the the one up of the scratch where he was sent down. Like, no, we're not even we're not even playing you on this team. You can't even be a Flyers next year. In um, le- other than it's just they like Philpola because he's a veteran, and that seems to be like to think that there's more beyond that based on like Dave Haxtell's decision making over the last three years is. Is, is just reaching for other things because I don't agree with that one. But the only other explanation that I can think of is that, yes, Lawton with Raffle and Simmons is the best possible third line. But then your fourth line is Philpola centering Laterra and whatever extra winger, and that's been Matt Reed recently, you know, and that's just a god-awful line. And you can't have that even for eight minutes a game. So... Raffle and Simmons kind of drag along Philpola, and then Lawton just kind Lawton and Reed are able to kind of team up and drive play well enough to you know get Laterra in the offensive zone where he's actually not the worst. Yeah, I don't I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, me neither. <laughs> I, I, mean, I don't. It, hey, same. It, it's funny that the more I'm thinking about this Raffle as center idea that Steph came up with, the more I yeah. I don't hate it because. That basically what that allows you to do is it allows you, which I think is deserved, it allows you to get Philpola out of the lineup because then mm-hmm. you can replace mm-hmm. Philpola with Wheel on the fourth line or or put Wheel on the third line. You know, then you have Lawton, you have some combination of Lawton, Simmons, and then either either Wheel or Reed, I guess. Like Reed, if you want the line just to be purely defense. Wheel, if you want the line to have maybe some sort of offensive upside, even though Wheel can't seem to score to save his life over the last month, mm. but at least like the at least the, the potential is there. With Reed, like I like Matt Reed, the potential is not there for him to score. He's not going to score goals. It's just not going to happen. With Wheel, it at least could. But then your fourth line, I guess, is you know Raffle centering 
whoever's left of Reed and, and Wheel, and then I guess Latera. And like that's I mean, Latera's been I mean Taylor Lear's hanging yeah, around. Yeah, there's Taylor Lear. I was throw just him in there. My, my the next thing I was gonna ask is how far down the depth chart is Taylor Lear? <laughs> like <laughs> I don't know. Who knows? The fact that he's fallen this far, but I will tell you. I have this prediction, man. I'm telling you, Jordan Wheel is gonna have a uh, he is gonna have a John Druce like playoffs. He is going to come back into prominence in the playoffs and be absolutely the Jordan Wheel we thought we were getting. I could see him having like a Sam Gagne type playoff run where he comes Let's he comes back and is like he's not dominant, but like he's oh he's pretty good. He's better than you know he had been, and you know he's maybe a little bit fresh because he hasn't played much i could see that, that, that he's gonna that would, be, be billy nice. leno okay that's man, let's not go that far yes <laughs> he's gonna go wild in these playoffs no i like except idea. he'll be useful next year too yeah <laughs> maybe he was useful that next year it was that one after that when they didn't pay him that was oh fine. man he was, I was bad say, and he will so bad he will not get paid seven million dollars a season or whatever ridiculous right. amount of money they gave billy uh, now this is something i was kind of uh this is something i was i've been uh, looking forward to talking about. Uh, and with the release of Brent Selleck today, it became a little more germane that I could tie it in with something that happened. Brent Selleck, longtime Eagles tight end, released by the Eagles after 11 seasons, which makes... After they won the Super Bowl, people forget people this. People do forget this. It did happen. Which makes, which makes Claude Giroux <laughs> Philadelphia's longest tenured athlete. Um... And there's been a lot of talk, especially this being his resurrection season. A lot of people think he's in the MVP conversation. Crowded MVP race, but he deserves at least in the conversation. Um, Uh And there are still, to this day, with him having this season at 30 years old, haters of Claude Giroux. I want to know why is he so underappreciated? Because we don't know how to have nice things in this town. I can guarantee you that if Claude Giroux got traded tomorrow there would be the same group of people whining that we traded Claude Giroux before he was toast and look how good he's doing with his new team and I can't believe he left here. Like, we just don't know how to appreciate good things when we have them. I don't know if it's just so much history of being beaten down by our sports teams, but, yeah, people don't appreciate Claude Giroux because he's ours. If he was on another team, we'd never stop talking about how good he is. Well, I think it's also... Because the teams haven't been good. I mean, that the, too. The, yeah. the years that he's been leading the Flyers haven't been good. The, the team has sucked, and I think that people, both locally and nationally, expect that if the guy actually is good, that he'll help his team produce something. And this is this is a historic low for the Flyers. Like, this is... It's been a rough handful of years. Yeah, and I, I think I, I don't disagree with that, but I also believe that it's unfair, especially in hockey, because oh, absolutely, yeah, because if, if there's one thing that this season has taught us, it's that even if you have literally the best player in the world on a shit team, the team's gonna be shit in terms of results. Yep. So like weird. You know, you watch Connor McDavid, and that should tell you, like, hey, just because a guy is on a crap team does not mean he's he's crap. Like, it's a different story in basketball. If you if you legitimately want to be considered a top five player in the world in basketball, your team better be damn good because if you're that good in basketball, you literally can carry your team. Same thing with quarterbacks. If you want to be considered an elite quarterback, your team better be good, and if it's not, you're probably not an elite quarterback. 
With hockey, there's just so many players. Like, there's so many players. Like, look at baseball. Baseball's the same way. Mike Trout is the best player by far, and the Angels consistently are average at best because there's a lot of players on a baseball team. There's a lot of players on a hockey team. Like, it's not Claude Giroux's fault that for four years of his prime, the Flyers had a defense of, you know, what was left of Kimo Timonen, Luke Shen, Nicholas Grossman, Andrew McDonald. Like, that's not Drew's fault, but I do think a lot of fans kind of blame him for it because they say, well, if he was that good, they would be in the playoffs every year and they'd be contending. Like, I think you've got to understand just how bad the team around him was for a long time. And that's, uh, the, you both made my two points about this is uh, <laughs> Take a that, lot Bill. of casual. No, yeah, no. Yeah. Owned. The uh, a lot of casual fans look at it the way they look at other sports and, you know, in basketball your best players play 36 minutes and, you know, have an impact on the game, your star can carry you. In football, the best quarterbacks, their teams are contenders just because they're there. They touch the ball on every snap. 30 minutes is so much for a forward. Like, it doesn't happen. Defensemen play 30 minutes, you know, in the playoffs, um, and that's only half the game. Like, a center playing 30 minutes, the game went two overtimes. And the other part is this team, it really is a historic low point uh, for this franchise. Only two other times in franchise history have the Flyers gone five years without winning a playoff round. The first was the first five years they, the team existed. Uh, the first five years they were in existence, an expansion team. And 1990 to 1994, a period in which they were coming off of six Stanley Cup final appearances and two championships and won at least a round, won at least one round in the playoffs in 12 of the previous 17 seasons. And of course, in the middle of that streak in the 90s, they went out and got Eric Lindros. So there was buzz just because of that. Like, just that little thing. Yeah, just that little thing of going out and getting the next one. So, so, uh, like, this is kind of uncharted territory for a lot of long-time fans, and people don't know how to deal with it, and what we've always done in this town is blame the best players. Oh, the Phillies stink, it's Scott Rowland's fault. Well, no, um, Desi Ralford's the shortstop. So, maybe, like, it's, it's Robert Person starting on opening day is a bigger deal than the third baseman who's an all-star. Like, it, it, it's just kind of always Stick been that way. to hockey. Yes, but we're comparing it to the other sports. <laughs> I'm just teasing you. So one stat, Bill, that you threw in here, and, like, I guess I knew that Giroux was was durable. I didn't realize he was this durable. I, I want you to yeah. read off the, this, this games played in the regular season stat because this is unreal. All right, so, yeah, I just put down a bunch of Flyers stats in the outline so I could get – or a bunch of Giroux stats. And this one was the – like, he's at the top of the list in all – in, like, everything. He's going to be top four in pretty much everything. But the games played is uh, absolutely insane. Since becoming a full-time Flyer in 2009-10, Giroux has played in 682 of a possible 692 regular season games. Uh, after missing – yeah – so that's he's missed 10 games since he was a full-time flyer. His rookie year, uh, after missing five games with a concussion uh, on a hit from Corey Perry, in which he was suspended for four games. So he's missed 15 games in total, regular season games in total as a flyer, in his 10-year career, nine of which occurred as a result of a pair of concussions in 2009 and 2011. Those are the only feel, games he's ever missed. I feel like we went over this... Over the summer. We might have. Because, like... We might have. I feel like... Let me repeat. I believe I went over this in the summer. 
because these numbers are really familiar. Um, and, and I believe the argument I was trying to make is that he gets this reputation of being fragile and always hurt. And like the dude is not, not at all. Mm-hmm. No, I actually, when I was arguing, I believe it might've been before we were with Broad Street Hockey, Steph, when I was arguing about Drew's potential decline, I cited his durability and said, this might be a problem that he's been able, that he has played through so many injuries that it's starting to catch up to him. That like his, instead of taking a week off to heal, his injuries get worse and then he's just done. Uh, And like, I thought his durability was actually leading to his decline more, or not so much his durability, but his toughness was leading to his decline. And that's what like, bothers me is that he's got all these all these numbers stats uh if he plays in all 12 of the final of the flyers last games this season uh, he'll be tied with Desjardins for eighth on the flyers all times games list uh he's fourth on the franchise assist list 11 behind barber for third he'll likely move into second place ahead of brian prop early next season clark has 852 that dude's a monster Um, needs three points to pass Eric Lindros for fifth on the franchise points list, 40 points behind Rick McLeish for fourth, uh, and then there's three guys, Prop, Barber, and Clark, all over 800. Uh, Like, he's got all these numbers, and he's tough as hell. Um, My one question about this, was Lavi's best player in the world thing a hindrance to his perception? Like, because he's not living up to that measuring stick, everyone thinks he's underachieving. Think so? Mm-hmm. I I don't think so. I think that we paid more attention to that than anybody else. Yeah, and I think a lot of people have really forgotten about that. But I I really do think it's just one of those things where it's like when you're in the moment, when you're watching these guys, and like Steph said, when the team around them isn't that great, I think it's hard to appreciate the kind of performance that you're seeing from a guy like Claude Giroux. Like when you read those numbers, those are super impressive obviously Flyers Hall of Fame numbers and it's like I don't think people stop to consider that this is a thing that's happening no I mean people oh my god you go on our post games and people are still screaming to trade Claude Giroux and he's having a career season oh that's I got I've been getting mostly Voracek but you still get Giroux Oh, yeah. I get the leadership oh God, thing with yeah. Giroux the most. That's the thing. I This team has been heartless and gutless ever since he's been the captain. And I'm like, really? Like that's, <laughs> is that what you're seeing out <laughs> that, there? That's the problem. It's, it's not like, talent. Yeah. It's, it's leadership. Yeah. It's, all, it's always yeah. leadership because the captain just, like, magically can, can turn, you know, Nicholas Grossman into a first-pair defense. But I just I, – the leadership thing – never ceases to amaze me because people just seem to have this overinflated belief of just how important it is to be a freaking captain in the NHL. God, people put so much stuff into that C. I'm at the point, I'm at the point, I wish they ripped the C's off the jerseys. I wish there was no, (laughs) because all it is is an indication of who can talk to the fucking officials in the, like, that's all it is. (laughs) It's just, like, it's such, it's such bullshit. Like, I just, it may be back in the day it held more weight. But, like, if you're going to tell me Claude Giroux has to be the, like, guy doing stuff because he's got a fucking letter on his sweater and, like, 
you know, Andrew McDonald, everyone sees him as a leader, but since it's a home game and he doesn't have that letter on his sweater, he's not a leader tonight. But next week when we're on a road trip, he is. Like, I just, it blows my mind. I, it's so useless to, like, ah, uh, like, yeah. You know, Jonathan Taves, Jonathan Taves is a great captain. It's his leadership that makes Patrick Kane an MVP candidate every year and Duncan Keith a Norris candidate every year and Corey Crawford a top 10 goalie. Like, yeah, it's his leadership that does that, that makes Joel Quenville a great coach. Like, no, these are just, they're surrounded by great players. Well, actually, the Chicago Blackhawks are bad this year. I know, isn't that great? true. Yeah. It's it so, is. It's delightful. It's so fun. I, Between the Blackhawks and the Rangers, like, this is a stellar year for shitty franchises yeah it's been a solid year bill it's interesting though you bring up that best player in the world thing because like i don't think that has anything to do with philadelphia's perception of Giroux. i I really don't like i think philadelphians were just kind of happy that you know they got some national attention for once and that was great um i think it may impact the national view of Drew because I think a lot of national people thought it was like an utter joke that he was being Mm. he was being you know put in the same breath as a Sidney Crosby and then when you know lo and behold the next two years it was obvious that Crosby was better which he is I mean I wish Drew was better than Crosby but he's not um they kind of became like a running joke among national people, like you still hear it on on podcasts, and you still hear it on see it yeah. on Twitter sometimes from national people, like, "Oh, there's best player in the world, Claude Giroux. That's so funny." And you know, maybe that has saw that that has resulted in national people not realizing that, like, okay, well, maybe he's not the best player in the world, but he's still pretty darn good. Um, I do think though, there's another thing that that hurts Philadelphia, Philadelphia, Philadelphia players in terms of the national perception. This is something that like I've, I'm trying to change now that I'm in Philadelphia media um, with regards to how the players are perceived. Philadelphia, especially like up until a guy wins a title, Philadelphia media especially, but like also the fans too, and part of that's on the media, they beat the shit out of their good players. Like they constantly criticize them. And I feel like in a lot of ways what happens is like the Philly media – you know, jumps on the star player and criticizes him for every little thing, and it almost gives the national media, like, the go-ahead to just pile on the dog pile. Like, oh, well, see, they watch him every day, and they don't even think he's that good. He must not be that good. Whereas you have other fan bases and other media that, like, for example, Pittsburgh. Like, the Pittsburgh media are the biggest bunch of cheerleaders I've ever seen for a team. Oh, my God. Like, they Mm -hmm. they are fans. They are 100% fans, and all they could do— I mean, you you watch a a Twitter feed of of a Pittsburgh game, you think Jamie Alexiak is the next superstar defenseman, and he still sucks. It's just that they want to talk him up every moment because they want to become, you know, they're rooting for the team and it it makes Pittsburgh it makes the Penguins seem smarter if Alexiak is really good and not just an average at best third pair defenseman but my point is is that like Pittsburgh pumps up their players in the national in the national media they they make it seem to the national media like well obviously these guys are all super awesome because we're constantly praising them and the national media kind of jump on the bandwagon and I think with Philadelphia media sometimes they they're looking for a reason to criticize someone like Drew and then and then the national guys look at that and they say well I mean I guess he's not that good Mm-hmm. You're not wrong. No, there's, nope. I just, I've never, I've really grown to be like, how is it the best player's fault? Like, when they're doing their job. You know, like, I was all for criticizing Claude Giroux when he had one point in 2016 against the Caps in the first round. That's worthy of criticism. But then look mm-hmm. at his, like, oh, well, he never shows up in the playoffs. Well, actually, look at his playoff numbers in every playoff he's ever been in except for that one. 
Like I think his... he's also not producing this year. Did you know yeah. that? <laughs> he's not producing because the Flyers haven't won every single game, and every single loss is well, Claude Giroux's fault. Because no, that's the, the um, yep. that's now what the trade Giroux people are yelling about is oh he's worth something again. Now we can actually get something for him. We'll oh, see boy. if that's what they were yelling trade Giroux about. I could at least I could follow that logic. That's not what they're yelling trade no. Giroux about. Uh, that, that's not All right, but. You know, it's okay. He doesn't have a lot of value because he's with Jake Voracek, and they're one A and one B. Oh boy, they haven't yeah. been on the same line since December. But also, uh-huh. Jake isn't that good. He's a second line at best player. That's what I heard last night. I'm like, so mm. you're telling me the guy who's 11th in the league in scoring and has the same number of points as Sidney Crosby uh, is a second line at best player, and the guy comes back? At, well, how many faceoffs does Crosby win? It's like, really? Oh, boy. That's your defense. <laughs> I love, <laughs> I love it. But now we're just trashing people. Um, so, Charlie, that, 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 that's, that's, like, for... that's like yelling at a running back and saying, well, how many touchdown passes did he throw? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Well, have you seen the Philly special? <laughs> Fair point. Charlie, I want to ask you this one question. The, the, we talked about it earlier, but how the hell has an Oscar Lindblom scored yet? Uh, somebody's got a voodoo doll and they're just like, you know, at every game, they're just making sure that the puck doesn't go. And then I don't know. I don't know because I'm writing an article right now on Limblom and like trying to make sense of this bizarre, pointless run that he has in the NHL. And like, you watch all the scoring chances that he's been a part of. And like, I don't think there's any reason. It's just that, you know, it seems like whenever he's involved in a scoring chance, the goaltender makes an amazing save or, you know, the guy who's shooting the puck misses the net or it just somehow, you know, the puck goes over the net, even though he's in the exact right spot. And he basically like baseball swung a puck that was up in the air uh, and it just barely missed going in top corner. I just I can't think of it. There being any other reason for this aside from great goaltending against him and just really, really got awful luck. God, he got so close last night. So close. Yeah. He could have had a hat trick last night. Seriously. Like, if this is that boy is made of sunshine and happiness, I can't believe that all good things don't happen for him. I just like I can't believe if it. If that's 2012 flurry and night, Limblom has a hat trick. Oh yeah, like, oh, yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. One thing I will say about Limblom and this. You know, maybe his his scoring chance numbers are a little inflated for this. He has been involved in about like four or five wraparounds, and well, he's on a line with Voracek, and they both do it. So yeah, that's true. But like those are plays that probably have a much higher success rate in the AHL when goalies can't get you know can't move mm. laterally as quickly as they can in the NHL. So maybe that's inflating it a little bit. But this is a guy who should still have at least like six, seven, eight points in the NHL, like goals Charlie, and assists. It's a he setup. should. It's a setup. It's a setup. He's, he's they're working all these wraparounds so that when in the playoffs uh. they fake the wraparound and kick it back out to the short side, it's an Ooh. easy goal because goalies are like so it. fast they see the wraparound coming, they dart to the far post, boom, easy goal. Limblom's gonna score like six goals that way. Just wait, he's gonna have twelve points in the first series doing that. I don't, I don't hate it. <laughs> he deserves uh, it. We're going, I don't know how long, because I hit record before we started, so we're probably around an hour right now. But we're not at Wildfire, yeah. so we can do whatever the hell we want. Um, we sure can. I want to talk about the penalty kill for a minute. Because, do we have to? Uh, yes, we well, have to. That's th- I have all these numbers, and they all confirm what you all listening know. The penalty kill is god-awful, but I don't know if you know how. What? <laughs> I think we know. <laughs> they have 208. Yeah, I've been watching this. 
This year, they've taken 218 minor penalties, which is the 10th fewest in the league. They're disciplined. They've only been shorthanded 198 times, 9th fewest. But somehow, they've allowed 50 power play goals against, which is the 5th most. Their penalty kill percentage now sits at 74.7%, which is the second worst, only worse than Edmonton. And both of those totals are two of the three worst totals of the last five years. Over the last five seasons, they are the two of the three worst. That's That means historically bad. This is a terrible, not just for this season, but over a long time bad. And Philly's 79.8% success rate on the penalty kill over the last five seasons that's combined is the sixth worst ahead of only the dumpster fires known as the Islanders, Senators, Oilers, Sabres, and Coyotes. This oh, is God. So that's, fucking, those are teams that you want to be mentioned the teams with. teams I just named. All right? That, uh, the only teams bad. that they're better than on the penalty kill are just bad teams. Like, the teams that are just awful all around. So I got to ask, is there a fix at this point? Is there a way to fix it? Hey, can, can I go, guys? Yeah. Okay, well, there's there's a guy who whose job is it, it is to run the penalty kill, and his name, oh? his nickname starts with an L, and it rhymes with a word that very very well describes this penalty kill. I, I don't think he should have a job anymore. No. He probably shouldn't have had a job for a while now. I think that's really, a fair assessment. I really hate calling for, like, the firing of a specific guy. Like, I don't want to see someone lose their job. That sucks. But you know what else sucks? This fucking penalty kill. (laughs) (laughs) It's unbelievable that the Flyers play well against Vegas. Like, that first period was screwy. But, like, overall, that's a good game. They played well enough to win. Like, Charlie, I think you said in your observations, I don't know if they deserve to win given the number of turnovers and, like, bad plays they made in clutch time, but they very well could could win that game. However, you take two penalties and you give up two power play goals. Um, Carry the eight. Yeah, 100. That's 100%. (laughs) Vegas' power play was 100%. You can't win. No, and the thing that's like, this is not a team that struggles to find jobs for players that it wants to pay forever. Like, if they really like Ian LaPerriere and they think he's a nice guy and they like having him around, find him some random job. Like, you found a random job for Neil Little. You can find a random job for Ian LaPerriere. It doesn't have to be penalty kill coach. Get somebody who knows what they're doing to do that one. They should be wildly embarrassed as an organization to be to be mentioned with these teams the islanders we keep waiting for them to be good the senators they were good that one time the oilers (laughs) they should be good but they continue to fuck that up the sabers another team that should be good but they just can't get their shit together and then the coyotes the coyotes which are just in in perpetual oh shit (laughs) yeah like there are two teams in there that don't have an arena to play in. Like, right? <laughs> like, it's unbelievable how bad they are at this. Like, Charlie, I know you do a lot of I know you do like a lot of video work with the penalty kill. Is there anything like is there anything that tomorrow if they figured out could they fix it? No. 
No, there's there's so many little things that they screw up. Like it's not. I think I think either Hacksaw or Hextall said this at the town hall that like it's just it's not one thing. If it was one thing, we'd fix it. And they're right. Like it's it's a ton of things. It's like every single time there's a new mistake. I've said this before. Like one of the few things that I do think is consistent is that there's a there's a pervading mentality on the penalty kill that the players, particularly the defensemen, should always try to block shots and Mm. I feel like a lot of times that ends up burning the goalies because the goalies end up getting screened or the shot ends up deflecting off the defenseman in addition to a screen and then the goal goes in and that's how you end up with a shot that doesn't seem like it's that high quality if you look at the you know the the chart the the shot map but if you watch it you're like yeah obviously it was a tough shot because the goalie couldn't see the puck and I almost or I the won- defenseman or the defenseman sells out for the block. The guy goes, "Oh, look at that! He's down. Makes an easy pass, and now there's an undefended shooter." Yeah, there's that. It's just that's the only the, the only like consistent issue I see is that maybe the Flyers would be better off being a little bit more aggressive, and then as a byproduct of that, giving their goalie clear sight lines of the puck before it's shot. Aside from that, though, it's just little things. Like it's just little things that they can they, that they they screw up, and it's a different thing every game. And you know, I, as I've said before, I, the only thing I can go back to is like maybe Laperriere is just not very good at pregame scouting. Maybe he focuses on the wrong thing when he's breaking down other teams' power plays. So then the players focus on the wrong thing, and then they give up goals. Like that's something I can't know. Like I don't know for a fact. I'm not in the meetings, but you look at these results, and something is wrong here. Like, something is wrong here, and the person that inevitably has to answer for this is the guy at the top. Like, he has to. I, you know, I've, I've talked a bunch about um, putting Ghost at forward on the penalty kill just to have some speed up there. But when I watch this penalty kill, I do think one personnel issue, uh, like when they have, say, a Philpola, Laterra, um, I don't know, Manning, McDonald. Manning? Manning McDonald foursome out there. <laughs> doesn't seem like a great foursome, There's, there's a I lot guess. of issues. Like, those are the guys. Like, fine, have those guys in the ice. If a sinkhole is going to open up. <laughs> there's a lot of issues I have. Like, I, don't want, I don't want any of them injured, but, like, have them transported to another dimension. That'd be fine. Like, yeah. I watched this penalty kill, and basically you're not fast enough to run or to skate to loose pucks. You're losing races to loose pucks. Unless and then you're not skilled enough. Unless you have a clear out, like they're changing, or you just intercepted a pass and you can dump it. There's no one good enough with the puck to make a play with it. Like unless you have a clear opportunity to just flip it out, it gets intercepted. I like the number of times I've seen the Flyers like, oh yeah, and then someone makes a, a, like a, a defenseman makes a play against the Flyers or on the power play versus the number of times the team just gets a loose puck back when the Flyers are on the penalty kill. It's mind-boggling. They get so many second and third chances because no one's fast enough to get the loose pucks, and if they get to them, they're not good enough with the puck to make a play. They need more. I just it's think they bad. need more skill. Like, there's a reason Mike Richards and Jeff Carter were good penalty killers and had, like, Richards had, like, 23 shorthanded goals. Carter had, like, 12. Like, when you have good players out there, they make plays. I was well, gonna... this, is, this is going back to the Goldborn recall, um, where you can say that you're, you're a penalty kill specialist, but... No, you're not. Those don't exist. No. They're talented players, and if you're not a talented player but the team has decided you're good at killing penalties, you might be Sam Moran that has a, a seven-foot wingspan. 
I mean, this goes back to last season with the Untouchables, who remained on the team because they were so good at killing penalties, but they're not actually, and they're not good at anything else. So I'm not sure why the idea of just playing talented players on the penalty kill is so crazy to Dave Haxtell, but it, it seems like a logical thing that you should at least try. Like, I, guess the, qu- a- I guess the question, though, to, to, to pose to the group is, like, what talented players should be on the penalty kill right now that aren't? And and that's not that's not a critical question. I'm legitimately curious. Like, what talented players that aren't on the penalty kill uh, do you guys think should be at it? Like, right now, Giroux, Couturier, Raffle are all on the penalty kill. Philpola is. Uh, and then your what? Your defense is Provorov, Gudis, McDonald, Manning, I guess? Because Hagis Ghost hurt. And, I mean, I'm... Ghost and Limblom to start. That's... Okay. Uh, Lawton. Give me Simmons. I was going to say, I'm willing to bet Simmons could kill a penalty pretty effectively. Yeah, he was pretty good at it when they were using him there last year. check? Yeah. I don't know. It just seems like every time they allow a power play goal, it's Philpola out there. Yeah, and it's not even it's not even that I, I think that they're not using talented players on the penalty kill. They clearly are. But the idea that you need a Valtteri Filppula on your team because he's a penalty kill specialist is absurd. I mean, I think well, they like, didn't even they weren't using Giroux and Couturier for a long time. Yeah, they weren't at the it, beginning it of the year. Critical mass, and they were like, "Oh, we actually need our top guys out there." And then they took them off and then put them back on again. Like this is, I, I think I think it might be one of these other organizational. Uh, uh, blind spots where they just can't get it together could be and having more depth will help just because like at a certain point you do have to question like okay Claude Giroux can't play 25 minutes a night like you know maybe Ivan Provorov can't play 30 minutes a night every night like you do need to give these guys a break and like if if (laughs) Giroux is on your first power play if Ghost is on your first power play if Simmons is on your first power play these are guys who are getting all the five on five minutes and all the power play minutes. Now we're going to give him PK minutes too. It just becomes a, but at the same time, you know, who's a great penalty killer, Simone Gagne. Why? Cause he was a good player overall. Marion host is one of the best penalty killers I've ever seen. You know why? Cause he's one of the best players I've ever seen. Like it's these things go hand in hand. Yeah. Good players are good at hockey. Yeah, like, no. I, Allegedly. Like, do I want Sam Gagne killing penalties? Like, no. Thomas Vanek is a guy who just scores. He can't kill a penalty. But a guy with a good overall skill set should be on your penalty kill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, yeah, and I don't know. Maybe maybe that happens down the road. Like, I don't know if I see ever see, like, Konechny being a penalty killer, but maybe. I mean, he's fast enough. Um, maybe Morgan Frost is a penalty killer. Uh you know, Limblom, I think, could be a penalty killer. Maybe he doesn't have the speed, but he certainly could win battles, and he's smart. So maybe he's a penalty killer in a year or two. I don't know. I I don't know what the problem personnel-wise, or what the solution is personnel-wise. I just know that this coach is not getting the job done. And, yeah, you're not going to fire him with 12 games left in the year. I'm not saying to, like, you know, just yeah. can him to, 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 to quell our anger. But in the offseason, <laughs> like, it has to happen. It's got to. It's got to. And and just back to Bill's point about how you can't play 
Claude Giroux 25 minutes and Ivan Provorov 30 minutes. If you had better talent up and down the lineup, they wouldn't have to. And that's it yep. gets it all comes back to the depth issues in that yep. like we've I mean, we went out and got Boyd Gordon because we were like, okay, this guy can take the defensive zone face-offs. Like, it all comes back to we're trying to sucked. lessen this workload, <laughs> but we're not doing it with the right guys. Oh, God. One day, one day I'm going to put together a highlight package from our first handful of shows. <laughs> God, one I'm day. so ready for that. Oh, my God. It's amazing. Because we were we were so... Stupid. Stupid and yeah. optimistic. And, <laughs> like, there was hope and in our voices and we thought the team could be good and <laughs> i'm telling you right now is... five game winning streak coming up there will be three games before our next show uh columbus carolina and washington i think they're gonna win all three then we'll have a show on monday and then they'll win the next two and then they have pittsburgh the sunday after that i see a five game winning streak coming up we will know if my prediction is right because they'll have three of those five games before our next show and that is all the time we have for you. Right, Steph, you're looking at me like you have more. Oh, I was just going to tell you to, to share whatever drugs you're on at our next podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and that, and that is all the time we have for you on BSH Radio this week. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, thank you for hanging out to our patrons. Thanks for all your support over the year. Uh, that's all I got. And if you want to advertise with us, broadstreethockeyradio at gmail.com. Yeah, you'll get a great return. Advertise it's with true. us. I promise. Someone will patronize your business. Even if it's just us, you'll get your advertising money back from us. Other people, lots of people listen to the show. Advertise with us. It'll be a good deal. Have a great week, everybody. Are you ready to talk about sports? Yeah! Who's gonna score hockey goals? Our team! Hi, this is Jim. And this is Max. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers Podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. <laughs>